0: Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. This is episode 221 of the podcast, and I am coming from you from Denver, Colorado, not too far from home. Uh, Joining me is Jan Jachowski from uh, our mutual friend right here in the River North District of Denver. Welcome to the podcast, Jan. Uh, Thanks for having me, Jamie. I, we were talking before we started the podcast. I don't know why we haven't done this one yet. I think it just has to do with me metering out some of our uh, our Colorado folks that are closer to home. Um, but our mutual friend has lit things up over the last number of years here in Denver. Uh, by my count, five GABF medals, World Beer Cup medal. I mean, he scored a 99 last year in uh, with Time's Arrow Double IPA in our craft beer and brewing magazine IPA issue. Um, craft beer and brewing beer of the year last year. I mean, there's some, you know, some accolades that you guys have have stacked back on that. And you've done it across a whole bunch of styles. Everything from hoppy beers to farmhouse sales, saison mixed culture beers, um, you know, and you're doing some creative stuff. One of my favorite beers you make is a smoked beer. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> we do those too. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to talk about all of these uh, you know, approaches to brewing from from mixed culture to hoppy beers and some of the more experimental stuff that you've been getting into, and maybe even a little smoked beer too, because, uh, hey, we don't talk about it that much and uh, it'll be fun to do. Um, can't wait to uh, get through this conversation. But first, for nearly 30 years, GD Chillers has set the mark for quality equipment you can rely on. GD stands above the rest as the only chiller manufacturer that engineers your glycol piping for free. g also stands alone as the only chiller manufacturer with an in-house team of installers and engineers with 30 years of real-world field labor experience in breweries, wineries, and distilleries. Contact the total glycol system design experts today at gdchillers.com. Also, this episode is brought to you by BSG and RAR Malting Company, the home of Fossil Free malt. RAR's headquarters in Shakopee, Minnesota is powered by renewable electricity. Malt houses and kilns are fed by an electrostatic boiler fueled by agricultural byproducts, much of which is waste from the malting process. By eliminating the use of natural gas, RAR Malting Company reduces CO2 emissions by 260,000 tons per year while filling 25% of the U.S. brewing industry's malt needs. Put the power of raw malt in your beer at go.bsgcraft.com slash contact-us. So, Jan, we normally start the podcast off talking about background. Um, yeah. Give us the background on you, your arc into brewing, and then, of course, how our mutual friend got its start and uh, you know grew to where it is today.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, personally, you know, um, I was a home brewer, for sure, home brewer back in the day uh, and had been uh, working as like a project manager for a house painting company and had a couple months off every winter to try to get my foot in the door at any brewery that would let me. And then uh, there were very few breweries in Denver in the surrounding area that could actually hire anybody. So I just ended up uh, befriending Brandon, my now business partner, and he gave me a shot at the front house. And then I started working for free in the back. And, you know, many years later, I'm head brewer and partner here at our mutual friend.
0: That's, uh, it was just like that. Yeah. Yeah. Just like (laughs) that. Yeah, totally. Just like that. Real short and simple. This is your first pro brewing gig. Yeah. First and only (laughs) (laughs) making the most of it. (laughs) Sure. Sure. What got you interested in beer, uh, you know, in the first place? Oh, that's
1: a great question. Um, I had moved out from upstate New York to, uh, Colorado to Breckenridge and I turned 21 in Breckenridge and just, uh, being exposed to, you know, just craft beer at the liquor stores up in Summit County, you know, just trying new different things, um, just was always, uh, enjoying beer, but then being able to just try the, you know, vast swath of, you know, different sure, styles sure. and everything that craft beer has to offer just like captivated me pretty instantly. Yeah. And so homebrewed through my twenties and then, uh, started working here when
0: I was about 27. Yeah. Yeah. And here it is. How, yeah. as, as you all got OMF off the ground, um, wh- at every brewery starts with an idea and then becomes the thing that it's going to become. Yeah, And totally. sometimes those things <laughs> don't align in yeah, the way yeah. that uh, the, the vision, you know, seemed to. Uh, how What's that journey been like for our mutual friend?
1: Yeah, so the original founders of the brewery, you know, they had a lot of um, cool ideas that just were just kind of maybe too hard to you know, implement at the small size they were. The brewery started on a one barrel, then went to yeah. a three and then to a seven barrel Frankenbrew style with a dairy mash done. And now we're on a ten barrel fully plumbed ABS system, which is a beautiful thing. But uh just realizing, you know, like what <laughs> is actually possible, uh on a one and a three barrel, like you can have all these grand ideas of like, okay, maybe we'll malt some of our own stuff. Or we did roast some of our own grains for a super long time. But at this point we're too large to even roast our own grains. We'd just be smoking out the brew house all day, every day just to make, you know, a hundred pounds of dark malt or something like that. So those kind of fun ideas that are super creative and, uh, really interesting and fun to try just as you scale, just even slightly, you know, we're still a small brewery, some of those things you have to adjust
0: and maybe leave behind as you grow. Sure, yeah. sure. I do, you know, even now the brewery has still grown organically. Oh, yeah, I completely. still remember walking through yeah. the brew house years ago. This is actually the second podcast that we've recorded here at, at our mutual friend. The first one was uh Dave from Fort George that we recorded back there. Shout out uh, to Dave. Yeah, shout out. Um you, you know, but I I mean I still remember, you know, separate glycol small you know glycol chillers powering each one of the you know the fermenters oh, and totally there. it's been very much a invest what you can when you can yeah completely you know, yeah we're those. very
1: uh cautious with growth and stuff we don't take on a whole lot of debt as a brewery um and we were just adding you know tanks and what we could when we could just to make more beer um yeah uh let's see here in uh shoot i'm thinking back it was 2020 yeah we got the uh new brew house online right before the pandemic. <laughs> so <laughs> we're time. like great feeling time. great about everything. And we're like, all right, we've got all this, you know, finally correct equipment and yeah, the pandemic hits. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Luckily the brew house and everything was paid for. So we, we, we were able to make it through.
0: Well you won your first JBF medal in 2015 and then yeah. another one in 17 and then another one in 2022, including a gold, you know, in 2021, you want a, you know, 2018 World Beer Cup for Saison uh, Tristero. I mean, they're, you know, so even with this small, cobbled together, you know, kind of setup, working on, you know, some equipment that may seem less than ideal, you've been able to make beer that have, uh, you know, that have stood out among, you know, in competitive brewing landscape.
1: Yeah, we definitely, you know, that was a badge of honor for us for when bigger breweries would come into the brew house and be like you guys do this on, on what you have here. It's like, yeah, totally. It's, it's, it's possible for sure. You just gotta, you know, work with what you got, make the best of it, which we've done for a long time and we continue to do. Yeah.
0: So it sounds like things started off with uh, this idea of being creative and small. And that seems to be something that you all have just leaned into, you know, pretty hard. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, we like
1: to brew, you know, whatever we're into, you know, we really just like to brew beer. We drink, uh, and, Just try to be, you know, true to ourselves and in the beer and how we present ourselves. We don't really know how to do to do anything else. You know, this isn't, you know, like some huge marketing ploy
0: (laughs) by us. This is just kind
1: of us putting ourselves out there.
0: And yet, here you are in River North, uh, you know, kind of hip, young, uh, you know, hospitality-focused district of Denver, surrounded by a lot of breweries. You know, Bierstadt Lagerhaus is just down the, down the street. Um, you know, Ratio is right up here. Finn's Manor is within, you know, a couple of blocks of you. You've got all sorts. Uh, Odell's got your, their brew house right next to, to Finn's. You know, I mean, it's... There's a yeah, lot Colorado of... Colorado Sake Company, one of the few sake yeah. producers in the country. There's yeah. a yeah. lot of beverage yeah. producers and a lot of craft beverage producers and, and you know, craft beverage retailers here in this river Mm -hmm. north district it's a you know competitive spot to be in and you've got a you know you know a beautifully muraled outdoor space it feels you know fun and urban and hip uh and i can't I'm, i'm trying to put myself in the the mindset of your average 20 something you know who's popping into rhino to meet a friend for a beer. And then they, you know, they see your menu with mixed culture saisons and, uh, smoked blonde ale. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're tossing them to the deep end real fast. Yeah, <laughs> That's the idea. Yeah. But how, I mean, how do how do you sell that beer? In this kind of market. I mean, I, I, you know, we don't normally talk about that piece of it. Yeah. But I mean, there is that question of making what you love to make and making those things that inspire you. But figuring out how to connect those things to people that actually buy the beer is also super important if you want to, you know, stay in business and all.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we I think we do a good job of, you know, incorporating as much local ingredients. I feel like that's a huge yeah. component. So if like somebody who's not used to a new style or something, at least that's kind of a jumping off. Oh, they're, they're hyper local and using almost exclusively all Colorado malt using a lot of Colorado hops as well. And then we do a really good job educating our front of house staff on styles and getting them interested in the beer that we're interested in as well. Um, And so, you know, they might not be a smoke beer lover. Our front of house staff might not be a smoke beer lover when they come in here, but they sure do appreciate what we're doing. And are able to kind of convey that to customers
0: who are curious as well. And it's not like you know the the flavors in smoked beer are alien to people. you're right next to owl bear barbecue, yeah and that's yeah, a, yeah. <laughs> a common reason why people might come grab yep. some barbecue drink some drink some beer here, yep, you know and and so yeah, a little smoked beer they go i mean it doesn't feel weird, but at the same time you know trying to sell people on smoked beer in this kind of vacuum kind of thing always you know feels like a, an odd proposition yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: it is it can be at some sometimes, but um you know they're not they're not on tap everywhere, so I feel like people who are curious and Try new beers or haven't had smoked beers before, we're a place
0: that they can come and, you know, hopefully try some decent examples of them. Sure. Sure. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about how you make some of these and and have designed some of these, uh, you know, specific beers. But before we do that, looking for innovation in your next beverage breakthrough, think outside the puree box and let your brand stand out with Old Orchard's craft concentrate blends. Even smoothie seltzers can benefit from the extra boost of flavor and color. Old Orchard is based in the greater Grand Rapids, Michigan area, also known as Beer City USA and supplies craft beverage categories, ranging from beer, wine, and cider to seltzer, spirits, and kombucha. To join the core of Old Orchard's brewing community, learn more at oldorchard.com slash brewer. Also, Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation is the first real-time comprehensive fermentation monitoring solution. It works with your existing fermentation tanks to track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, Temperature and conductivity in real time from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Brew Monitor provides detailed insight into your fermentations that helps improve beer consistency, reduce tank time, and increase overall efficiency, saving your brewery time and money. Get started for 30 days risk free. Visit PrecisionFermentation.com/slash/brewing. So, Jan, let's talk about some of the weirder beers first. You know we. Um, I always try to pace it so we can talk about hoppy beers at the end. Sure. Just to keep people with us. You know, it's <laughs> it's just, you know, it's that that typical uh, you know, entertainment strategy where if we uh if we <laughs> if we deliver the things that everyone wants to hear first, then you know, we at least want to make them fast forward through this to get to the the hoppy stuff at the end. But let's talk about smoked beers. You know, yeah. your Gilberauch uh, you know, smoked blondale yep. again, like I said is one of my favorites. You mentioned uh um, you know, before we started talking, that you've got a smoked Hellas that you've now. Yeah, added we've to got the a mix. smoked
1: Hellas, and then we brew a beer every uh, holiday called Sjurashjul, uh, which is a Norwegian dark smoked uh, beer as well. Yeah. Shuddishul, Shuddishul, yeah, yeah. In uh, 2017, you have multiple
0: uh, smoked beers on the table. Yeah, tab yeah, list we have two right, right now. now. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, not just one.
1: Um, <laughs> but yeah, in 2017, Josh Cody of uh, Colorado Farm Brewing and Colorado Multi Company, I took a trip to Norway to. Learn how to make this beer, uh, which was really incredible beer. It's the smokiest beer you'll ever try if you get to go to Norway and try one at one of the Sunhaus co-ops that they're made at. But uh what makes that beer truly unique is that the uh the
0: smokiest beer that I've ever it, had. That it, sounds like I, a I challenge. I almost guarantee it. It's okay. pretty
1: incredible. I uh we were at the Sunhaus where they um smoke and kiln uh the malt at the same time using alderwood. And I smelled like it for probably three days, even after shower. It's, it's, it's impressive. It, it <laughs> yeah, sticks yeah. everywhere. Pervasive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, just really interesting style that you don't see too often out of uh, uh, northern Norway. Yeah. And that was a really great experience uh, just to kind of go through the whole process of starting with the basic malt. This, this beer is a single malt beer. It gives all, all of its character and huh. flavor is just from one malt. And so the malt comes out of the kiln, you know, pretty rustic looking and stuff. And it's all different colors. So, but it's dark black beer. That and it is, starts
0: as a simple row barley. Yep. And then it you go through an Alderwood smoking yeah, process. Smoking what, and kilning at the same time. Talk to me yeah. about that smoking and kilning process. Yeah. So they have these. Since you've been there and, yeah, and seen yeah. it happen. They have these. Um, when I talked to Lars, uh, Marius Garschall we didn't get into that specific beer. So I feel like, you know, we can, you know, add some sure, perspective sure. on this. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It, um, they have what's called a sunhouse, and uh, generally these sunhouses are um, shared by brewing co-ops or you know just people in the area or generational you right, know right. kind of homebrewing co-op people that make these styles that are truly unique to that. They're not really commercially available because they're so strong. Uh, Shul is around ten percent generally, and used to <laughs> have a good time on Christmas Eve. <laughs> They'll sure, usually drink sure. it all. But yeah, so the uh, sunhouse has um, what's basically is a firebox built into it and it's pretty long, probably about 15 feet by 10 feet. And then um, they're constantly feeding it um, alderwood, dry alderwood and wet alderwood to control the smoke variation. Mm. And then uh, that heat is coming up through the floor of a wooden floor with like holes in it. And then that the smoke and the heat is kilning and smoking at the same time where normally maybe some malts are, you know, kilned first and then smoked after. Sure, sure. Yeah, and so it gives it just a way more intense characteristic uh, than traditional smoked malt. Yeah, yeah, and and so Josh Cody replicates that uh, that process in Alamosa. Yeah, and so we brew it every year as a collaboration with them.
0: And he does it the same kind of way, where he's killing and smoking at the same time. Yes, correct. Yeah. How yeah. do, uh, with
1: no. Alderwood that he's kind of getting somehow <laughs> from Norway. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We won't ask. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: Is there a black market <laughs> for Alderwood? There might just... be.
1: I, I don't know how that all works with, you know, different types of woods coming across borders and stuff. We'll just yeah. assume that
0: he goes through the proper channels. I would to assume. Import, I would assume t- so. to import things yeah. legally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally legal. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so did he have to, I mean, that's not a, if that's not a typical production process for him, they have to set up, uh, you know, some special equipment. To oh, use.
1: totally. Yeah. They kind of build their own, like, you know, kind of mini Sanhas, you know, because basically I think they're only making it for us and them every year. Yeah. And so there's this kind of outside similar method though, you know, firebox underneath with perforations, uh, above with the, uh, malt spread out on top. Yeah.
0: And I imagine that becomes a very manual process yeah. where you're having to like manually then flip and turn and make Completely. sure that uh, you know the heat is being evenly distributed, that yeah, know, that the smoke can pass through it and is actually rising up through yeah. rather than yeah.
1: Yeah, and these, these sunhouses like to burn down too in Norway. It's pretty oh. dangerous too, because you're dealing with open fire that's coming straight up through right. basically a cinder block, but then wooden top with perforations. and then in, a very and flammable prop you know exactly. product on top yeah, of it yeah, yeah. so they, tend, they they can burn down too, <laughs> which is kind of dangerous, yeah so yeah,
0: why not replicate that process yeah. <laughs> yeah, <totally. laughs> in America yeah, to make it's the, a style that everybody beer, loves <laughs> to make this one beer that no one 's ever heard of that you only make once a year, yeah, sure, sure, yeah.
1: it is super delicious though it has you know notes from like coca cola to you know tobacco and leather and and barbecue it 's just this really unctuous really enjoyable beer. Yeah. Which is truly unique because the Alderwood just gives it this totally different smoke characteristic than you're used to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so you're using a hundred percent of this Alder, Alderwood smoked malt, which is, yeah. has some of the most, yeah you know, insane smoke character that yeah, you've yeah, ever yeah. experienced. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and so you've got all of this natural limitation around there, but now you've also been like, Killing it in a maybe uh, uh, less scientific way. Yes. Yeah, commo- you know, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and you're yeah. also smoking it, so you're impacting even the performance of the malt. Yes. You know, it, as you go, talk to me from a brewing perspective. Then you know, and of course, year to year, you know, batches. There can be batch variation. Yeah. You know, definitely. Some of the malt batch can variation. Per- can definitely perform in different ways in the brew house. So you take this this you know product that Josh has made. Yep. And then you try to brew with it. Like that has to become a challenge. Talk to me about how you all manage through that. Yeah. So there's this definitely one where you just hand it off to a, you know, assistant brewer and say, <laughs> Hey, here's the recipe. Just, just go make yeah, this. Yeah,
1: It's um, there is variation year to year. Cause you're going to have different yeah variations in the Alderwood from year to year and smoking and just temperatures and everything right. like that. It's, it's, it's interesting. Um, so every year it's going to come out slightly different. Um, we kind of treat it like a traditional um, single infusion mash though, actually. And that's what, they were doing from yeah. the people that I learned mm-hmm. learned it from, and uh, it's just key Which that makes sense because yeah, yeah. most of the farmhouse
0: yeah. brewers in or I mean they were not brewing, you know, they're bre- simple setups that they yeah. have
1: made themselves for the for most sure. part. For yeah, sure. yeah. So we're just doing kind of uh, uh, single infusion. It actually isn't too complex of a, a method, but you just want to make sure that like. That you're uh, milling it correctly, you know, and that you're not sticking the mash. It has the tendency yeah. to stick the mash quite easily. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's so kilned out and dried and stuff. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah.
0: Um. You know what? Are you are you just making sure that you're keeping it moving and. Yeah, and
1: we're just use just it's kind of a normal brew day. Yeah. We don't incorporate too much hops. They would use whatever kind of you know hops were around, sure. anything they got, and then um, we're fermenting with just Chico, and they'll use whatever yeast they have. It, they don't. They don't have particular affinity, Mm, red yeast, Chico yeast, whatever brewery yeast that, yeah, whatever they have is what they're going to ferment it with. It's
0: less about the yeast and it's more about the malt.
1: The malt, it's 100% malt driven. Yeah, yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Well, um, how does that impact efficiency again, brewing 100% with that kind of malt?
1: Yeah, we're definitely um, overbuilding this recipe to about 70% efficiency. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's definitely... Having a lower efficiency, yeah. So. For a commercial, yeah. Yeah, for commercial commercial, uh, yeah, example. Your normal yeah.
0: expectation, I'm sure, is somewhere in the mid to high 80s or... Uh, yeah,
1: oh yeah, mid to high 80s for sure, yeah. Yeah, 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 and we're, shoot, I think we used almost 1,100 pounds for about nine barrels, so that was quite a bit. <laughs> How does, uh,
0: you know, and then you know, in terms of gravity, where does it start at and where does it tend to finish?
1: Um, So let's see here. So it's um came out at around 10% ABV, so I think we nailed about 21.5, and then it finishes, what would that be at? Probably around like, oh, shoot, I would have to look. Sorry, I'm blanking on the that math <laughs> off the top okay. of my head right now. It's morning, um, it's math. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it's not super sweet. If I had to guess, I think it'd be around six Play-Doh it finishes. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know if that math adds up, so sorry if I'm not doing that math right <laughs> Not super yeah. sweet, but enough. Yeah.
0: enough residual. Enough sweetness residual sweetness. To yeah, kind yeah. of, you know, help balance out some of that kind of smoky yeah. or, or more bitter yeah. kind of yeah, element. And too.
1: they, you know, they brew it for strength for sure. That's a big portion of it. Yeah. They like to have a good time on Christmas Eve, and so they're totally fine with a more attenuated beer.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and you mentioned the the fruity flavor component to this, but then you know that if the yeast isn't impacting that. Normally that's a major source of those kinds of flavors. You're saying that this is now then coming just from the, just from the malt itself. Just from
1: the malt itself. Yeah. It's pretty incredible the depth of flavor that you can get just from smoking malt with, you know, a different type of wood. (laughs) It's, it's, it's fascinating.
0: Wow. Wow. And so when you taste it, then what, how do you describe the flavor?
1: Yeah. So super rich, um, pretty unctuous, you know, it's almost got some umami characteristics. It's got, um, you know, big notes of tobacco, leather, um, barbecue, just general barbecue. Yeah. Um, and then it's just kind of, you know, very, you know, almost woodsy as well. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of, just kind of being in a moist, <laughs> uh, like, yeah, Norwegian woods. It's kind of like that. Like yeah. a moist Norwegian yeah, 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 woods. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: Well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, how do, uh, how do other folks around here, consumers and, uh, you know, and other brewers, uh, you know, respond to it? I mean, that, you know, a 10%, kind of sweet, mm-hmm. super insanely smoky beer. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it can't be lighting up the charts for you. Yeah.
1: Bre- brewers tend to love it for sure. We
0: have a f- yet, select few brewers that are I coming did, around. I did get a press yeah. release from you about yeah. it. So you're, you're you're pushing it out there. <laughs> we are
1: pushing it. We think we might be the first to have canned it ever um, as a commercial variety, but we don't know for sure. Um, but I think it's a fun, you know, it's, it takes a lot of education on our front house staff. But once people kind of, you know, are curious about, you know, such an extreme kind of beer, they kind of like have a bond with it. They're like, oh shoot, I've tried this crazy Norwegian smoked beer. And they kind of like, (laughs) you know, have some pride behind it and kind of start enjoying it even more. Yeah. They're like, this is kind of my thing. The people that it resonates with. Yeah. Sure. It's definitely not going to, you know, connect with everybody out there, but if they're brave enough to try it and are open, you know, to smoke beer flavors,
0: usually it connects. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the other smoked beers. That yeah, you're for making. sure. I'm curious, but that now yeah. that's certainly the the big and dark side of things. But yeah, your light and pale smoked beers are also you know yeah. kind of core you know year round uh, beers for yep. you.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we make uh, a beer called Gelber Roush that we usually make from spring to fall, and that's you know pretty straightforward smoked blonde that we use. Um, We use mostly Colorado Malting Company uh, malt for that. Okay. we've been using some oak smoked wheat to incorporate that. They'll make that for us. Mm. And uh, some, they'll make also a little bit of birchwood smoked barley for that as well. And then um, that's just really crushable, you know, four something percent beer that you can really almost forget about the smoked beer character after you've had a few, you know, one of the beautiful things of those lighter smoked beers is that they're just kind of fade in the background and just kind of make the beer even more drinkable to me at least. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about that. I mean, you mentioned yeah. oak smoked wheat. And so naturally yeah. I think of Grojiska. Yeah, you know, yeah. 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 You know, that kind of, you know, kind of ingredient base. Yeah. Um, you know, what is it about oak smoking, you know, versus uh you know some of the other smoked malts that are available out there. Yeah, we, we we really do like oak
1: smoked wheats um in that it incorporates maybe just a bit of a softer, rounder smoke characteristic that is a little more approachable and a little more sessionable. Rather than, you know, hitting over the head with just beechwood, which can be pretty intense. Um, we do like to blend different types of smoked malts together. Yeah. So really? we'll do beechwood and oak and oak and uh, cherry and stuff like that. And then I think the most current other light beer we have on tap is called Clemens uh, Smoke Lager, which is a Hella's log, uh, smoked lager. And that incorporates um, some smoked malt from Colorado Malting Company that used uh, Law's
0: uh, whiskey staves to smoke the malt with. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So when you, so what kind of percentage, you know, in a pale smoked, uh, you know, beer, does the smoked malt typically make up? Um, sometimes up to 50%, but sometimes yeah. quite a bit
1: less too. Yeah. We can go down to about 10, 15%. Yeah. And still get quite a bit of smoke character.
0: Yeah. Yeah, You know, as everyone I've talked to says, it it tends to not be a linear thing. No, 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 not at all. If you add more smoked malt, it doesn't necessarily get smokier, especially when you're talking about a 4% beer where there's not a whole lot of malt Mm. in general. Yeah, that's about
1: 50%. That beer would be, yeah, about 50% smoked malt. Yeah. for that
0: one yeah. um and then when you blend some of these smoked malts what do those blends tend to look like you know or, or uh you know in terms of how do you how you distribute those are you using more of some and less of others we'll or? use
1: more of some softer ones like the oak smoked wheat and then incorporate yeah. maybe a little bit of cherry or a little bit of the um you know laws whiskey save yeah oak that's oak as well but it's just got a more intense flavor since it's been charred once already right, and then right. had a whiskey in it and stuff so yeah so we'll de- generally you know do like I guess like 75, 25%. Yeah. Or maybe 50, 50 too. Yeah. So you're using these, yeah. some of
0: these other stronger smoked malts is more of like a flavor accent. a little, yeah. a little spicing there rather than uh, doing the, the main lift. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I have my own personal preferences too. I kind of lean towards the softer sides of them, except for shoot is a hundred percent smoked. Malt right, and intense. right. But when we're going for like, you know, the lighter stuff, we're just kind of trying to be delicate with it. Make sure that smoke character is there, but really just providing drinkability. It I find that, you know, like having a uh, light smoked beer just makes you reach back for it more and more. It makes it more drinkable to me, at least.
0: Yeah. 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 And then you're using just regular two row in addition to that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Usually pills, just regular two row pills um, from uh, Colorado Malting Company or another craft maltster such as Troubadour.
0: Yeah, or, yeah. I'm noticing a local Colorado craft malt theme on this. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. We during the pandemic, we've almost completely stopped using, uh, we've stopped using, um, other malts not produced or produced outside of Colorado for base malt. So we use really? 100% uh, Colorado base malt now. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And we'll try to use as much specialty malt by these craft maltsters as well, but then we'll sprinkle in a little bit of other specialty malt from other uh,
0: maltsters. Just, just because, just because yeah. it's uh, not as available or yeah, you don't wanna...
1: Yeah. And it's a characteristic that somebody's not making yet. And we're like, okay, we'd like to incorporate that. It's just yeah. something that's been proven and we're comfortable with. Yeah. Using. But yeah, we thought that was really important
0: during the pandemic to just try to kind of keep things even more local as possible, yeah. It seems, you know, like a and that's an interesting one from a principal standpoint mm-hmm. because it makes sense to to work locally this year, especially with the supply chain or last year with the supply chain interruptions with, you know, major issues happening with you know, imports and you know, the whole world going crazy around this thing. It actually seems like an interesting strategic move now to, uh, <laughs> to guarantee, yeah. a, you know, a consistent supply chain by, by working locally around. That. Yeah,
1: totally. We, it was just a added benefit for us actually, after that decision, it wasn't based in that at all, but it makes sense. Yeah. That it did, you know, weren't waiting around for malt to come over from Europe at all. We were, all set. We had all the money we needed.
0: Yeah. It's interesting that you can also do this because while you all do package and do get, you know, canned beer and bottled mm-hmm. beer out there into the market, you know, it tends to be a more premium product when you do package it. You do yeah. sell a lot of it right here out of the tap room. Yep. And you sell a lot of beer over the bar yeah, quite a know, bit. here at the brewery. Yeah. What, what's that percentage breakdown to?
1: Um, so packaging in cans is new to us, you know, yeah. before we were just kind of sticking to, you know, mostly kind of special barrel age projects or mixed culture and Saison putting that into bottles. And then when the pandemic hit much like many other breweries, sure, we were like, sure. okay, now's the time we're going to start canning beer uh, if we want to stay afloat and keep everybody on and keep brewing. So, um, I would say probably right about now we're about 80, 20, uh, over, over the, the bar, bar. Yeah. and then, but maybe it might be a little bit creeping more more like 25%. Yeah. Sure, sure.
0: Yeah. But, you know, as a result of that, because margins are so much better for you as a brewery, for mm-hmm. beer that you serve over the bar, you can support something like, you know, spending four times as much
1: on yeah. local oh, Colorado-based yeah. Colorado yeah. Based Absolutely, malt. yeah. It does help us a lot. Our margins are so good in the taproom that uh, we are able to commit to, you know, using expensive ingredients, which we find, you know, make our beers really unique um, and flavorful. In their own ways but it's just yeah it does help to have all those
0: sales over the bar <laughs> yeah right yeah now you you mentioned this hellas also so you know smoked hellas that mm. you've been rolling out how does that differ then from the uh the blonde smoked Blondale? yeah
1: so it's definitely gets the, our full kind of like lager treatment where you know we, we have a you know pretty traditional craft brew house direct fire but we're kind of doing some modified Kind of decoction where we're just pulling over some turbid wort and boiling that for about 15 minutes, and then using that wort to bring it up to you know sacrest. So we'll do it. We'll do a protein rest, and then uh, we'll add some more uh, liquor to that, bring it up again, and then lauder uh, over about five barrels, boil that for about 15 minutes, and then bring that back over, and then uh, bring that up to sacrest, and then we'll also do mash out as well. Yeah. So we're trying to add, just add some complexity. In uh into the lager beers that we make uh through these different mash processes um and we think it does provide some you know bigger depth and stuff you know our our attenuation you know maybe won't go it'll uh stay around like instead of like if we weren't doing this process we'd ferment out our our uh, killer pills to 1.9 or something but since we enacted this it's you know, a little sweeter, not by much, but maybe 2.2, 2.3. And yeah. that really just gives the beer a lot more body and, you know, interesting malt character, you know, and makes it more enjoyable to us. Yeah.
0: Sure, yeah. sure. I hadn't thought about the but how does decocting, yeah. a, you know, a uh, mash that uses smoked malt differ from, uh, you know, decocting a regular, uh, you know, mash? Yeah,
1: so we're not doing traditional decoction, oh, so we're okay. not able to move grist
0: over to it. Oh, okay. So we're
1: moving some turbid wort, you know, oh, we're, okay. just, I gotcha. we're gotcha. just taking a right. really, you know, quick uh, turbid wart run over to the kettle and boiling that, okay. In hopes that we're getting some kind of characteristic and long sugar, b- b- yeah, Malliard reaction, and then moving that back to the mash, and uh, continuing on our uh, mash protocol. Yeah.
0: Oh, I gotcha. Process. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, does it uh, tend to concentrate anything from of the smoke flavors or impact that in any way? On the
1: smoke beers, I definitely would say so. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely something to account for. Where we're just using maybe a little bit less on the smoked Hellas, we probably used around like. Yeah, 20% of the smoked malt, not quite as much.
0: Okay. Yeah. And then, you know, what, what's the rest of lager fermentation look like for you?
1: Lager fermentation is, you know, we're just using 3470, mm. and then um, we're uh, knocking out ice cold, you know, as cold as we can get. Right. We, got, we have on the new brew house, we have two stage. So we have glycol like, hookup. We're able to knock out 50 degrees year round. So we're knocking out 50 degrees and then um, pulling a little bit of whatever break we can off the bottom before we pitch. Yeah. And then um kind of traditional lager fermentation, couple weeks and then um slow crash. Um we, we'll 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 cap the tank, you know, around 6 Play-Doh or something like that. Yeah. And then uh slow crash down, you know, degree or 2 a day, and then lager for anywhere from 6 to 8 weeks. Yeah. And we do find that we do need those lager. L- the beers are just better that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> sure. Well,
0: like I said, you know, as we were talking, you're in a neighborhood with some Pretty good, yeah. <laughs> pretty good lager brewer. Yeah, there's
1: a, there's a good lager brewer not around the very corner. far away. Yeah, so, yeah great uh... beers. Yeah, and we, we thought we would make our beers different as our lager beers are always 100% Colorado. Yeah. So. We're able to source not quite noble hops, but as close as I can get is uh, Tetnanger. yeah, which isn't a noble hop at all, but it's 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 about as low as alpha acid as we can get in grown in Colorado. So we use that, and so then you're using Colorado h- grown Tetnanger. yeah, and crystal hops, yeah, uh, okay. yeah, yeah, and those are our lower alpha acid hops that yeah. go pair well with with uh, with the uh, loggers, yeah.
0: Fun, yeah. fun. Well, let's pivot and talk about some other beers. Yeah. Before we do that, from the rotatable pickup tube on Rogue Brewing's Pilot Brewhouse to the integrated hop backs on Sierra Nevada's twin prototyping brew houses, SS Brewtech has taken technology they invented, working with world renowned industry veterans, and made them available to every craft brewer. To learn more about SS Brewtech's innovation list, head over to ssbrewtech.com. Also, are you involved in your local homebrew club? Want to receive even more benefits? Then you should sign up for Five Star Chemicals Homebrew Club program. It's free, and you could have the chance to test out new products before they hit the market, receive exclusive swag and discounts on brewing cleaners and sanitizers head on over to their website to sign up you won't want to miss it jane let's talk about hoppy beers yeah great we'll make we'll throw that in the middle here just to yeah. really confuse people yeah sure
1: yeah um
0: <laughs> it's a good it's a good way to go because i say i'm a saison person but really i'm crushing ipa more than anything we'll get to saison and yeah, mixed yeah, fermentation yeah. beers yeah. too for sure um, you know, but this category obviously it was uh you know a favorite for our our craft beer and brewing judges last year with Time Zero. Uh light the international pale ale that you make has garnered a whole bunch of medals for you and, and a whole lot of respect. Um, you know, making hoppy beers in this kind of way in a you know pretty competitive market, you also have kind of stuck to doing it in a clearer traditional more I shouldn't even call it traditional because none of this is more than you know 30 years old at this point <laughs> and yours are very pale yeah. maybe not as uh you know um or crystally as as what might call a traditional mm-hmm. um they've definitely paid attention to some of these trends in that, that clearer side of hoppy uh hoppy beers mm-hmm. but let's talk talk to me a little bit about formulating the ideas you know for something like inner and you know what your process creative process looked like for that
1: yeah um So for inner light, you know, inner light and time's Arrow, we've been making for quite a long time now. Um, I guess six, seven years, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. About that long. Um, we could start with inner light. That's, you know, kind of started out as what we thought was going to be a hoppy pale wheat. Yeah. (laughs) Now we just kind of call it pale. Sure. (laughs) Sure. But it's uh, about 50% wheat, 50% pills, pills, and it's pretty straightforward recipe. Um, very simple, uh, recipe with that. And then might have a little bit of flake. Well. You were
0: you were putting the wheat in there long yeah, yeah, before a long that long became time. popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, you still yeah. got it to, to come clear. Yeah, too. <laughs>
1: it has a little bit of haze. It's not it's sure, not clear. Clear. Sure. Uh, and then and then it, it gets a whirlpool edition of Amarillo, um, which we used to use some extract for that. And yeah. then we found that pellets, you know, just provided a much better flavor. Um, we definitely do some uh, lower temperature whirl- whirlpooling. Nothing too extreme. We're generally coming down below 190 but mostly around 180. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and we we use our we have our uh kettle uh hooked up to a crazy uh kitchen fan that's super strong so we're just cooling the wart from our exhaust fan on our kettle whirlpooling. Takes about 20 30 minutes to get down but we're not running our or through our heat You're exchanger. just blowing
0: air across the or top it's come,
1: and coming across and the fan is so strong that we actually pick up a little bit of gravity too because huh. it's evaporating so fast. Yeah. So we do account for that as well. So that's how
0: we're doing. it. house our, that you're brewing out here in Colorado, in Colorado where is, it's 5,000, you're a mile yeah, high it's dry. And, and it's very, <laughs> yeah. yeah, And cold for a, you know, a good portion of yep. the year too. Yeah. So that,
1: that process happens a lot faster in the winter, obviously, but it doesn't take too long for us to get that going. We're just trying to keep out, you know, whatever we can out of our heat exchanger so I don't have to rip it apart right. sooner than late. Sure,
0: sure. <laughs> um, if we and All these yeah. brewers of the southern part of the country where their groundwater is warm and they, you know, like, you know, have all these other yeah. issues, air air temperatures where, like, very few people could actually get away with doing it the way that you do it. It's kind of yeah. cool.
1: Yeah, it, it's just, it's happenstance that are, yeah, that the fan from our old, System, which was a kitchen hood that was what was over our old kettle. We just kind of hooked that up with that, and it runs so fast that it cools the the warts so fast while whirlpooling that we're
0: able to do this. So, and you're not worried about bringing out any, you know, kind of foreign uh, uh stuff you know into this nice so we're, sweet fermentable liquid. We don't that generally just go below 180, so oh, we're okay. not too concerned.
1: Yeah, if if you know you go below that, you you would want to kind of right, try to keep right. your system closed up. I, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's how a lot of the other guys are doing so it. They are cooling it. Yeah. Yeah. We, we find it to still be hot enough. Yeah. And, um, and then, so it gets just a whirlpool That's basically the only hop charge it gets is a whirlpool, ch- uh, charge. I think it gets about 11 pounds, just a eleven pound bag for a 10 barrel batch and then knock out ferment with Chico and then dry hopped with solely mosaic. Um, the water treatments are pretty straightforward. It doesn't lean one way or another, get some calcium chloride and gypsum i forget which what parts per million we're landing on with everything but uh kind of sh- middle of the road that way and then it gets a bit it gets a dry hop around 6 plato almost everything we do gets a dry hop yeah. around 6 plato yeah
0: so close yeah. to the end, but not yep. quite the end. Yeah, yeah. And it finishes. You're not fully biotransforming, but no, you're... not
1: fully, not completely. Some some hazy beers we do we do definitely yeah. go for that. Yeah. But on uh beers like Times Arrow and Inner Light, we're kind of on the back or back end of What's that. What's the benefit
0: yeah. of doing it right then? And can you know, because I could see the benefit of waiting till you know it's done and you know you're completely off yeast because then you can repitch and go through that from a production standpoint. I can see the benefit of going for transformation. where mm-hmm. if you're just gonna go all in, just go all in. Yeah. But it seems like you're.
1: Some, I think we yeah, get a, you know you're, you're messing up your ability to repitch. That's totally without, true. Yeah. But I think we get a little bit of best of both worlds. You know, we're definitely creating creating a small amount of biotransformation, but yeah. we're also, you know, just kind of locking in that more fresh uh, hop characteristic towards the end as well, since we're capping the tanks then as well after we're dry hopping. Hmm. Yeah. So that's just kind of the method we landed on after six years. We're like, we've tried a bunch of different things, you know, over the years. And we're like, okay, this is kind of what's producing what we like. And yeah.
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you you're wrong. You've yeah. got plenty of metals <laughs> that prove otherwise. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, no, no. Yeah. Um, But it's, it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. But- we're
1: big proponents of just doing what's working for us in our brew house. You know, like, you know, we will try anything, you know, we love trying, you know, science-based you know techniques for sure all sure. the time as much as we can. But if something doesn't land and it isn't working for you, why continue to do that? You know, you got to do what works for
0: you and your brew house. You're small enough to yeah. keep, keep trying new things yep. like yeah, exactly. experimenting with new ways changing things yep. up. You know, from a process standpoint, now you have other folks working with you in the brew house. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how do you convey these kinds of things? Like it's what's a really the big, learning process? Look it's like? a
1: collaborative effort between, uh, Jacob, our lead brewer and Kaylee now our assistant brewer who we brought on last year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'll come with an idea or Jacob come up with an idea and we'll just kind of be like, okay, so this sounds like a really interesting technique. Can we incorporate this into a beer? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. We right. just have conversations about this. We're like, will this technique lead to a better beer or not? That's, and then we go from there. Yeah, that's kind of just the starting point for all. So of that. You, yeah. you
0: guys meet on a weekly basis, or you know, in the brew house every day, it's all just, day. It's, it's yeah, just yeah. more informal yeah. kind of yeah. talking more about informal. things. Yep, yeah. yeah, but
1: always constantly talking about it. Yeah,
0: you know, when you when it comes time to brew something, you know, brew a, a beer that you had brewed before, you know, yeah, you so you just before you start brewing, you chat about that and you know, kind of make some creative decisions yeah, or technical decisions. if there's, if there's decisions.
1: something, you know, like, we're like, okay, this would be the batch that we'd want to try to execute a new technique on or something like that. Yeah. More often than not for beers like Time's Arrow and, uh, and Inner Light, that these are extremely small changes right, over right. many, many, many years. And so at this point, those recipes are not locked. Nothing's ever locked. You can always sure. make a beer better. But our standard uh, techniques and how we make those beers have, you know, pretty well set, you know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: How do you, uh, you know, do you, do you, how do you taste these things? You know, I mean, it, it's an yeah. interesting one, but for a small brewery, yeah. that's very taproom focused, yeah. that's making things like, it's not like you have a tasting panel that everything we, we have a sensory panel. You do. Yeah. Yeah, we
1: do. We do. We use draft lab and almost oh. every week we try to do it every week, but not quite. It's been mm-hmm. hard with the pandemic and getting people right. from outside the brewery and stuff pre pandemic. We had a pretty robust sensory panel going really and now we're just starting to get back to it again after just scrambling and making everything happen sure (laughs) and then having people come and go and yeah just a lot of different stuff so we're just starting to get that back together but yeah so we do have a little bit of data uh from the past and you know just seeing if these beers are true to style true to the beer you know every batch to batch is important to us so yeah we'll taste everything and then use draft lab to log it all
0: yeah. When you are at full speed, what does that look like? Is that a weekly process? That's a weekly process okay. with
1: about five or six people coming in to uh, taste, you know, huh. every beer that's, you know, going to be packaged or it has been
0: packaged yeah. yeah,
1: within the last week. Yeah. That's
0: that's fascinating. Yeah. You know, and yeah. That's and like, that was a
1: big thing that we enacted before. And I feel like it really was a, a thing that kind of helped us to be a better brewery. Sure. For sure. Yeah. Sure. Just doing that every week, you know, just trying to wrap your head around every beer. You can be wrong about lots of things in sensory, but just the act of doing it repetitively really just to help yeah
0: reviewing that data how, how were you able did you were you able to identify some things that you might want to adjust and and be able to like feed that information back into the brewing process
1: yeah yeah so you know we'll definitely experiment with different you know rates of you know salts and stuff and then we're like okay we went too far with that you know right. multiple people noticed that or that i you know the beers were f- for some reason bitter okay we go look back at the lot you know and like oh shoot Maybe these, uh, alpha acids were high on the bag that we had or right. something like that. Okay. Or, you know, something else happened, but yeah, it, it can be beneficial. Just kind of going back and, and, uh, dialing stuff in, making things more consistent. Sure. And it can still
0: be a sellable beer still within a spec that you might have yes. for it, but just, you know, you nah, guys, just, you guys on. have the fine, yeah. the fine point on yeah. that. that gonna, yeah make those adjustments yeah. for no. I you know, I always find that interesting because as important as data is, if you don't have a mechanism for acting on that data or, or pulling that feedback back into the process, mm-hmm. then sometimes those things get get lost and oh, those changes yeah. don't get made. And yeah. you know, I'm curious about that. But does it is interesting to have a kind of disciplined weekly, mm-hmm. you know, approach to this and then yeah. have all of that data that then you can go back and refer to and see how things, you know, uh, and also see how people change over yeah, time. It's completely. And, and yeah, yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's been interesting. You know, we have to, incorpor- we definitely try to incorporate other people outside of our business into our tasting panel oh. So people could be really harsh or really homerish, you know, on, right. on our beer. It's, there's rarely a middle ground for somebody who works here. Sure. <laughs> or, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and uh, so it's, it's been difficult trying to get some people uh, that know us, but you know, are going to be critical of our beer back onto the panel after the pandemic. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So we're working towards that and getting the panel more robust and more yeah, just helping out. But, yeah, once it's, you know, going, it's re- really, really beneficial.
0: Yeah, no, and for a brewery this this size, not a very big brewery, you know, like having that kind of just one can be often harder to find, but it obviously, clearly it's had a positive effect for you all. Yeah, yeah, definitely has. Um, as I'm thinking about your hoppy beers, mm-hmm. I just have this one question. Yeah. And that's how do you, what takes them from good to great? Because there's this gap between, you know, and it's not as hard these days with the amount of information and knowledge that's out there about how to brew these beers. It's not that hard to brew a good one. But getting from good to great, you know, becomes this harder to identify, harder to articulate piece. If you were thinking about it, what do you think has made some of the biggest, I shouldn't say biggest, some of these are the smallest differences that help push from that good to the great level.
1: It's, it's really is just the little details, you know, you talk to, you know, lager breweries and they're just like it's right. a million little things. And it's this, you can apply that same, you know, train of thought to hoppy beer as well. Yeah. It's a million little things just to, and over the years, I'm kind of a slow learner. <laughs> it's taken me a long time to, <laughs> right. you know, get these beers, this dialed. some people might be able to excel at it a little bit quicker than me, but um, it really is just, you know, geez, just, you know, improving, you know, having a sensory panel, just taking way better brewery log notes, logging everything that you're doing as much as you can, write down, write down, and then going back and looking at that and seeing what you can improve. So these things take time, you know, just these little improvements every ad. It takes a long time. You know, we might only brew time zero, you know, 10, 12 times a year. (laughs) So it's, we only get 10 or 12 times to, you know, nail it or make it better uh, yeah 10 or yeah, 12 yeah. times that's plenty that's plenty yeah, yeah, that's yeah, plenty. yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. how over <laughs> yeah. the years that you've been brewing something yeah. like time zero yeah you know how have the ingredients changed you know you know your recipe may not have changed that much you yeah know, clearly the technique has has shifted in small ways but you know as we know between hops malt etc mm-hmm. you know Uh, these are agricultural products Yeah, yeah. and those things definitely changed. Hops have definitely been, you know, changed over the last six or seven years.
1: Yeah. We're, we're, we're a little stubborn in some aspects and have gotten lucky, you know, say with like, you know, certain hops like Idaho seven to me has become just an incredible hop over the years. Maybe at the beginning of it, you know, like people weren't that into it, a little more dank, could have, you know, kicked off some onion or garlic even at this point, it's just really awesome, you know, complimentary hop that's, dank citrusy you know and piney all at the same time it's kind of hitting all those notes that we want in a traditional west coast ipa um as far as like malt goes we probably were brewing we were brewing it with maybe some vireman malt but then we have been brewing it with craft malt for at least two three years now yeah and that's just been um craft malt has just you know gotten to this level where it's just, you know, as good, if not better, you know, for mm. what you want as, you know, mass produced malt. So we just find that incorporates just, you know, richness and body and flavor that a West Coast, you know, definitely needs. You know, right. it definitely doesn't have any crystal malt in it or anything. <laughs> sure, sure. But uh, it's it's just, you know, it gives you that that malt back, backbone that a West Coast still needs to have.
0: Sure. For sure. Yeah. And that's a Chico, you know, fermentation. Chico fermentation, yeah. very
1: clean. Um generally probably a little colder. I think we ferment at 64. Oh yeah. What do you, yeah. why,
0: why? Give you? Just
1: to kind of give it a little more clean flavor. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing too warm. We're, we're fine with taking longer fermentations. We do a lot of Chico fermentation kind of colder yeah. as well. Yeah. 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 Throughout, throughout. Yeah. We don't fer- ferment anything too warm. I mean, it's <laughs> Unless like it's Chico sazones. produces yeah. a lot of esters in the first no, place. No, that's true. Out yeah. Out we just don't find it, find an issue with it taking too long or, you know, like passing diacetyl or anything like yeah that. how yeah, much yeah.
0: longer would it typically take you know cold or i shouldn't say cold 64 versus you know your typical yeah 68, 68 or, or
1: something you know maybe just a day or two longer no yeah. that's fine by us yeah we're a small brewery so it's okay <laughs> hey we're not yeah. we're, we're not in a rush to put anything out yeah
0: and there really is a sensory impact you think between the uh,
1: you you know what I I to be honest I probably
0: couldn't say it. it's this is just intuition you know uh, from brewing sure, yeah sure yeah, yeah so it's just the way you do it. yeah yeah <laughs> um as you shifted from uh you know into craft malt three or three years ago or so yeah um you know how long what was that dialing in process you know for your uh, your hoppy beers I mean I imagine there's some batches there where you were yeah. learning on the job
1: yeah so you know we found that you know we were not using as much pale malt over the time. So most mm. of our beers are just based in Pilsner malt and that gives it just a little bit of a lighter body and character and stuff. And then if we need to punch it up, we can punch it up with some weed or some flake material or oats or something like that. Yeah. Um, but we like to start with the pills for mostly some beers, you know, we'll do half pills, half pale, but um, to me, craft malt, the pale malt can be quite overpowering. It's more, you know, it's more like a Maris Otter or something for mm. the most part, pretty strong character. Uh, pretty strong tasting malt character, yeah.
0: And so, but the bill's malt from the craft maltsters is de- yeah. definitely hits that. You yeah, know, it hits lower. that nice,
1: nice spot. Yeah, where we're able to work with it and provide a, like you know real nice foundation for these hoppy beers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that definitely did take a little bit of time. Uh, we had been brewing with you know about half craft malt for the whole time the brewery's been open, sure. but just just to dial yeah the hoppy beers in specifically. Yeah, we're like okay, maybe about three four years ago, we're like. We're going to switch all these over to Pills malt. <laughs> and huh. it really did help quite a bit. Yeah. 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 No,
0: makes sense. Yeah. You know, in terms of the beers you brew, how, how, what percentage or so would be hop forward beers?
1: Oh, probably about half. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. We, we, <laughs> we, we, make a lot of hobby beer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: For all the, uh, yeah. out yeah, there. Yeah, no, uh, it's at least half. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, it gives you the, you, yeah. you, you have those beers that you sell and make yep. a lot of that, uh, give you some room to experiment on, yeah. on some of those other things. Let's talk a little, speaking of things that you love that may, uh, you know, be more labors of love. Uh, let's yeah. talk about mixed fermentation. Beers. Yeah, absolutely. You've yeah. got a few fooders back there yeah. and, uh, you know, that's been a big part of what you've done from the start, you know. Yep. Tristero, uh, Bier Oval, these are all beers that you've won medals for. Talk to me about your approach to, you know, to uh, mixed fermentation brewing.
1: Yeah, I just always have fallen in love with Belgian beers and sour beers. Um, Yeah. And then, you know, inspired by the, uh, you know, the American craft brewers who started, you know, your Firestone Walkers, your New Belgium, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Just have had sour programs going for a long time. Yeah. Um, and be inspired by them, mostly the American ones by their mixed culture techniques. That's what we've adopted. We definitely try to give a go for sp- some spontaneous beer, but we just don't have enough room in stock. Yeah. You know? We, we, we had, uh, incorporated some of that, that, that beer into other beers at points, but it was just something we couldn't continue to do at our, in our space. We just don't sure. have enough room to do it. But, um, yeah, as far as mixed culture goes, you know, really, I'm just kind of driving Brett forward first and then acid second almost yeah. always. Yeah. Yeah. And just you know, using different types of brett uh, combinations and just giving the beer its time. That's the main thing. Yeah. Using
0: different brett combinations. So, yeah. you know, I mean, a, a, a common approach to mixed culture beer is to develop your culture and make everything mm-hmm. with that. Yeah. Um, doesn't sound like that's No, your we approach. have like, yeah, almost every
1: vessel has its own unique thing going really? on in it. Yeah. Whether that be, you know, something that's a little bit higher acid or something that's entirely just brett only. Yeah. Me. Yeah. And we have maybe one or two single isolate Brett, you know, Cezanne, you know, uh, tanks going, but everything else that's in the fooders would be mixed culture or many different Brett's, Yeah. And we use those beers. Sometimes we release them straight up as a single beer, or we'll use these to blend and make different beers. Off blending of between yeah. your different mixed yeah. culture beers. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just all, all in what we want. We're like, okay, cool. So this fooder is producing this awesome, you know, Brett beer. We're going to let that shine on its own. Example of that would be weirding way, um, and Zappa Weaver Boy just got a good food awards over right. the weekend, Congratulations. which is awesome. Yeah, thanks. And uh, and so we just like to let that food kind of speak on its own. We will use it every once in a while to blend into other things. But for the most part, that one stands out on its own. Yeah. And we have a couple other that are kind of, you know, a little more funky and more sour, a little on the weirder ends. And then we'll use those as blenders, you know, to incorporate into more, you know, straightforward brett beers, if you can say
0: that. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Talk yeah. to me about the origin of of the cultures. I mean, are these... You know, uh, commercial pitches or these—they're commercial pitches for the okay. most part. Where we've selected—you don't have a romantic story about capturing, uh, you know, the yeast off of a plant in a in a backyard.
1: <laughs> I've done it off of my pear tree, but it just yeah. didn't produce something that I was into. you were on a so. vision quest, yeah? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, you know, an old man gave you these yeah, mushrooms, yeah. yeah. And yeah. <laughs> it, it led you to this culture I that wish. defined that the beer. Fun. Yeah. That sounds fun.
1: Um, but no, they're all commercial varieties, and we're just always kind of doing trial batches you know kind of homeschool or home trial batches and carboys just be like okay is this something we're into okay yes let's let's put it into something bigger and then you know sometimes we don't generally add after we've decided what we want these vessels to be we'll kind of let them stand on their own and do their own thing we don't we try to get there before (laughs) before the food or not try to adjust the food or
0: after right right Yeah, yeah Um, but that's interesting. You yeah. do carboy fermentation. Yeah. yeah we these will cultures just to do that. Yeah, to for sure. Almost bench test everything yeah. and, and see what you like before yeah. you commit to an entire yeah. food or other. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then another odd thing that we do, you know, we do some primary fermentation in stainless, but we also do some primary fermentation in the fooders themselves yeah. as well. So we do a combination of that. Just like to use every tool possible. We do a lot of aged top stuff that goes into the fooders as well. Gives that, you know, funk and age top character. You can't get anywhere else. Um, Bureau is an example of that beer. For that had, uh, is the hops that in that are aged hops. For, yeah. Yeah. Um, that we age ourselves that we bought, bought way too much of about five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But we just like to use every tool in the toolbox for mixed firm beers. Yeah. Except for spontaneous, which we wish we wish we could, but we just don't have the space.
0: So it sounds to me then like you have multiple methods here too, where some are approached in that kind of say new Belgian ish, you know, sour method or Mm -hmm. which I guess really goes back to Rodenbach Mm -hmm. of taking fully fermented beer and then laying it on a mixed culture, you know, in order for that to develop versus some, you know, where, you know, uh, fermenting wort from the outset with that, you know, mix of of, of culture. Um, and you do both of those.
1: Things. We do, we do. Yeah. And we try to, you know, f- you know, just for our small amount of fooders, so I don't have a ton of, you know, research and data on this, but we do find that, you know, certain mixed cultures work better with diff- different, you know, methods. Huh. Yeah, so
0: well, how and what yeah. wh- is there some kind of, you know, are there certain brett types that work in different means there or?
1: Yeah. Or is it like if it has
0: lacto and PDO, then it's probably going to be better this way.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I would say if like, yeah, we, we, we we don't have a whole lot of PDO in our, in our brewery, but there is one and that one we would ferment out first and then put it towards the PDO. Yeah. To slow that down and just try to keep that at best bay as possible. Right. Yeah. yeah. And the other ones mostly are probably just lacto and Brett and uh, maybe some other wild yeast as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um you know, in terms of bretts, what do you, uh, how do you think about those things? And you mentioned that you're know, like adding some extra stuff to, you know, to move things in different directions. You know, as you think about that kind of library of flavor and what some of these, uh, you know, bret strains might, you know, contribute to beer, are there any ones that, uh, you know, have particular characteristics that uh, you identify?
1: Yeah, definitely Dre is like probably number one for sure. Yeah. But on its own, it can be just kind of, you know, singular and stuff. But we do definitely try to push for those, you know, when we're having and what does the Dre
0: give you? That, yeah, those, those smarty sweethearts characteristics,
1: yeah. you know, not quite as barnyard y, not as yeah. horse blankety. Um, that'll lean it to that direction. Um, when we do blend them, we do like to make sure that everything is balanced though. So, like if we're having sure. a Brux, a Dre, and then another one, we just want them to be in harmony with each other and not have one just pop out and just yeah. kill the rest of them off. Yeah, it flavor wise, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, you know, and then how, how does Brux taste to you in your mind? What do you associate it with?
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right now, just, uh, just, uh, what is it? Boulevard their brat beer. Yeah. Yeah. That is Brux all the way to me. Right. Yeah. Which we've been Saison able to Brett, do. Yeah. Yeah. Brett, yeah. Which we've done some collabs with them and that's what it came out to be tasting <laughs> like, you know, like, it's like, okay, that's very strong. And I, I'm just assuming that's Brux, but, uh, right. yeah, yeah. I, that, that to me is Brux in my head. <laughs> Yeah.
0: As you're going through this dry, ripping, strong,
1: powerful bread. Yeah. Which is enjoyable for sure. Uh, but we like to, you know, incorporate everything that we can. Yeah.
0: What does the process look like, you know, for you, if you are, you know, you've got a mixed fermentation beer rolling in one of the fooders, you know, how often are you tasting it? And at what point do you say, Hey, maybe this needs something else. Yeah, totally. Um, we're
1: tasting them, you know, at least twice a month. Oh, really? Um, that y- often? Yeah, yeah. Wow. I'm getting into them every other Tuesday, basically, and checking in on them. If you don't do that, they can go you right. <laughs> you want to so get to if these before. aren't two-year
0: sour beers. Yeah. If these are, you know, well, four yeah, to six-month yeah. mixed fermentation yeah, yeah, beers, yeah, then yeah. that makes more sense. We
1: have some year-long projects that are going for sure, um, but still like to get into them and taste them. Um, we have, you know, sample valves on all our food, yeah. so it's much easier to do that. And so sure, I want to be pulling nails off of everything too. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, and these are larger vessels, less oxygen incorporation and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, no, I'm sorry. I got, I got sidetracked. So every two weeks, you're every two weeks, about every two weeks. Yeah. And, um, we're just making sure they're on track and fermenting out correctly and, you know, passing, you know, THP, you know, making sure there's none of that there before we move stuff on and decide what we want to do. If we're going to blend or release on their own. Yeah. Or fruit or yeah a lot of options which is a lot of fun with mixed culture beer right right yeah. but i'm
0: just picturing you like tasting this thing this this needs more Brett tray
1: oh yeah <laughs> yeah so we would probably end up if if that was like if it was missing a component that we we would hopefully have some beer on hand that we could blend that in with yeah and we're like okay that'll take care of that we don't have to mess with this fooder so rather than just yeah. pitching
0: something you're thinking yeah. about how we we blend out yeah. with something else that we have
1: definitely yeah and then uh the, as far as fooder health goes and stuff like that, we're generally you know ke- solaring for the most part, but you know we'll we'll definitely reset the fooders with the rinse and citric acid and potassium at a, by sulfate rinse and start with a new pitch. We'll either each okay, time, not each time, no. We'll okay. we'll go. It's it depends on the beer for sure, but yeah. two to three times usually, which can be you know a couple years. Yeah, um, and. uh, and then we'll either keep going. Okay, we're happy with this. We'll try. We'll try that again. Might not even have the same outcome again because the food has changed right. and everything, and we've cleaned it and just things have changed. Um, or we'll just start. We'll just from our research try another combination of
0: uh, cultures and Brett. Yeah. Well, that answers my question about yeah. uh, the culture drifting over yeah. time.
1: Yeah, the culture will drift. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, we've lost we've lost some. We we feel like we've got some back too, but it's some go, and you're just not able to keep, keep them. If you don't have one single, you know, mixed culture going, it's right. hard to manage them all at the same time. Yeah, they can they can they can lose
0: their way. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's such an interesting one. I remember talking to Lauren Limbach, uh, you know, of New Belgium about that, and like they were paranoid of cleaning those fooders. Mm-hmm. Because you know this is that they've been going on and going on, yeah, yeah. But when they got into it, and I um, mean, you know, just took the sludge out of there, <laughs> you know that, that it was actually pretty gross, yeah, and that, yeah. And that yeah, as they got it started again, it. It was everything they liked, and not the things that they didn't like. Yeah, that's you awesome.
1: Know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've we've found that to be the case in. So a you couple overcome of our, yeah. you overcome the fear, and then yes, you're totally. Like, okay.
0: Yeah, it's something that's got to be done for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and so you talked about age tops using mm-hmm. that, and certainly I think you know most of us who are involved in this kind of and, and enjoy this kind of beer understand those kind of flavor contributions yeah. that a lot of that kind of funk element that we associate with Belgian beer seems to have a strong correlation to, you know, yeah. to aged hops in general, or at least into what Brett can do with the compounds that those aged hops produce. Talk to me a little bit about, uh, you know, how you optimize for that.
1: Yeah. So uh, we, we, we found, you know, like as a lot of other mixed culture breweries that, you know, the aged cop component is a huge component of this right, flavor right. that you enjoy. And so that's something we started using. We're just, we're um, buying whole, bale hops from Colorado hop farms, um, just trying to get usually Willamette or crystal. Um, and then we're just generally doing, you know, long boil, usually at least 60, 90 minutes on those. Um, we, we, uh, like that interaction with the Brett and the aged hops. It's just a characteristic you can't get on any other way. If that's what you're going for, that's what you're going for. Yeah. Right. And that, and it's something that I find really delicious. So we do it in quite a bit of them. Yeah.
0: It seems, yeah, it seems like that funk component has been one of those elusive pieces for American sour beer brewers. And as, you know, as more have gone deeper into this and found out, like, we have seen the quality of American sour beer just, I wouldn't say improve because it's not like one is good and one is bad. It just seems to track more closely with some of those inspirational beers yeah, you know, from Belgian producers yeah. and be more, you know, closer to what you know folks were hoping yeah. to make in the first place rather than just making highly acidic beers.
1: Yes. Yeah. And I, I don't want to say like faking the funk. It is <laughs> it's almost a method of faking the funk because I, I do really think that mixed culture, American style mixed culture beer has a place in beer. For yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um It doesn't have to be all spontaneous. It doesn't have to be all anything, you know? Sure. And this is just, it's just one way using the H-tops to get closer to what we really enjoy drinking. Yeah. From European examples. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's no
0: essential or, or singular method for making anything. Yeah, you know? totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. There yeah. are, there are methods that are, uh, you know, and again, I don't think you can say better, but there are methods that are more, Um, genuine in terms of being true to ingredients Mm -hmm. and being true to, you know, to process. Um, But being transparent about these things is the most important thing, you know? Yeah, totally. Uh, As long as you are talking about what it is and not trying to pass something off as something that isn't, um, you know, everything from kettle sour beers can be beautiful, fun Absolutely. beers that are really enjoyable yeah. for people to drink. Um, it doesn't, they are different beers than, you know, these yeah. aged, you know, funky, you know, beers that are taking after, and I think that was the, that you know, was a problem early on is people yeah. were like, well, that's just not, you know, that's yeah, not like this. Well, yeah. it doesn't need to try to be that yeah, thing. Yeah. It's its own thing. It's you its know? own
1: thing. And I like that about American craft beer in general. Right. It's just that we're able to Kind of pull from whatever you know we want and just make our own things. It's, sure, yeah, yeah, it's sure. A beautiful thing. We're not beholden to one. Tradition, yeah. Right, right. You know,
0: and that's, it's funny and it's great because that's also been inspiring back you know, has, out into Scottie. this world of brewers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And in fact, a large number of listeners to this very podcast are, you know, scattered around the world. I hear from folks as far as, you know, from China, from, of course, from Poland and, uh, you know, various parts of Europe, South America, et cetera, because they want to hear about how American brewers do what they do. Like it is inspirational and American, you know, brewing, especially those early years of craft beer and they, yeah. You know, 70s 80s 90s you know where I, I got into it in the 90s like it was very much brewing beer inspired by other places yeah and now that conversation is moving in so many different directions yeah yeah and i love it seeing now too because we're, we uh you know you see the inspiration of say south american brewers using different kinds of ingredients on wood etc yeah that's impacting american brewers and picking this up and so watching this dialogue happen uh around the world and you know, through all of these places is the most, it's just the coolest. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. I heard from a brewer in China who's, who's, you know, uh, uh, making hazy IPA in, uh, Eastern China. like, you know, yeah, awesome. I mean, <laughs> it's crazy. It's amazing. But that is the beautiful yeah, world that we live in. That. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> so, um, you know, as, as we, uh, you know, kind of wind down here, Jan you typically, you know, ask about, uh, you know, that kind of bigger picture vision you Yeah. Know, for you. Obviously you guys want to make beers that inspire you. Yeah. You want to make beers that make your customers happy right here at yeah. the tap room in Rhino, you know, what, uh, what does success look like for our mutual friend? What's the, what's the big picture goal for you?
1: Yeah. We're, we're we're, we're slowly on our way to what we think. I think as my business partners and I want to success, you know, kind of, you know, make creating a place that our employees, you know, feel, uh, secure in and enjoy working at, you know, and they like the product that they're making and they like the per- people that they're working with. You know, I feel like that's maybe one of our main goals. Um, it took, it's taken us a lot, a long time to get to that space, you right. know, just kind of grinding it out and making beer and paying the bills and stuff. But we're able to kind of look forward a little bit, and do that. We've just purchased our first. Ca- our being own, a good yeah. company and good yeah, to your own yeah, employees. Exactly. You know, yeah, In addition to just what you yeah, make. Yeah, which is important cool. to us. Yeah, yeah. Um, we purchased our own canning line actually, which is coming uh, end of April, we hope. What'd and you get? We got a PS Angeles uh, six head counter pressure filler. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And then we've got, you know, Kirkus like, Dave's using one. Yeah. Yeah. They're all the rage. Pint house has one, I guess. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I was just, uh, that guy. talking with them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just um, kidding, Joe. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah. So, and then we're, you know, finally able to purchase our right. own Anton Parr suite for packaging and stuff nice, like that as nice. well. So just improving on quality and stuff as we're gonna well. We're going to have to make more beer then. Yeah. Yeah. So we're hopefully, you know, we're going to, um, produce some more beer here in this location for the time being. And then, you know, if the demand, you know, comes, you know, maybe we do something a little bit larger, but not that hasn't been planned at all yet. Yeah. Yeah. We're still, you know, a little brewery just doing what we can. Yeah. Trying to make great beer and then keep the people that work with us happy. Yeah.
0: Well, whatever you're doing, it's working pretty well. Awesome, yeah. Thanks, Jamie. Yeah, G Chillers has set the mark for quality equipment you can rely on. Put the fossil-free power of raw malt into your beer. Think outside the puree box with Old Orchard's craft concentrate blends. Get detailed insight into your fermentations with Brew Monitor, risk-free. Put SS BrewTechs advances to work in your brew house and sign your homebrew club up today for the five-star chemicals homebrew club program. If you enjoy this podcast, uh, we would love your support. Just go to BeerandBrewing.com. Click on the subscribe button. Of course, many of the guests we talked to today uh, or here on the podcast, share additional insights and more in the pages of the magazine. In fact, I think we did a a case study on our mutual friend and our brewing industry guide a couple years ago. Yeah, that was awesome. And if you are a subscriber to our industry all access, you can go access the entire back library of content all digitally for included in that subscription price so of course if you want to learn more about where i'm a mutual friend go get that industry all access subscription and check it out um hey we appreciate everyone supporting what we do of course we have video classes and all sorts of other things that are a part of that too beer and click on that subscribe button jan if uh people want to learn more about our mutual friend where do they find you in the uh, digital world and here in real life
1: yeah on, on ig omfbeer and then buyomfbeer.com. yeah that's where they can find us or right
0: down here on larimer street or on and, larimer uh, street yeah yeah in yeah. the river north district yep. of denver it's been great talking with you jan appreciate you joining uh, me for the so podcast much, jamie it's been an honor yeah. awesome cheers cheers